I'm Russ White at the Network Collective, and this is a Network Collective Short Take. In this short take, I'm being joined by Tom Ammon to talk about PGP communities and Bogon addresses in the DFC. So let's talk about communities. What are BGP communities? For those people who are completely lost in BGP community land, what is a BGP community? So just the textbook definition, I guess, it's a, it's an attribute of a BGP NLRI, so a BGP route, but it's, it's just an attribute. It's not, it's not something that you send. I mean, we talk about sending communities and sometimes we talk about them as though they're an independent entity and they're not. They're just uh, metadata that's tagged onto a prefix uh, in the BGP table. Right. So, so basically a tag. They actually started, I think, with EIGRP and OSPF tags way, way back in the old days. Um, being able to take a route for administrative reasons and really not to do policy on, just to say this route originated X, just so you would have extra information if you wanted to use it for something. Now, of course, they have morphed since then into being used for policy quite a bit. Um, and I think more than they probably were originally designed to do. But yeah. So does a community by itself do anything? Like if I attach a community to a route, do I expect magic to happen? Woo, magic. <laughs> no, no. It's just it's just arbitrary data. It doesn't really mean anything unless you and the person and the entity you're sending it to want it to mean something. So if they want it to mean something, then it does whatever they wanted it to do. And if they don't, they ignore it. Or they right. strip it. So let's right. talk about stripping a little bit because stripping is interesting um, because a lot of people don't understand stripping and why people strip. So a lot of providers either strip communities inbound or it's just not sent, right? It's just the communities just aren't sent over certain kinds of connections. Right, right. So you would, <clears throat> I mean, if you think about, um, say, a community is coming in, um, say you're a service provider and, and you have an enterprise pairing with you and they're sending uh, extended communities to you. And from the service provider's point of view, extended communities are used for a bunch of things. And one of them is, say, this customer um, is in a layer three VPN. Well, BGP uses extended communities to um, kind of overload the protocol, I guess, a little bit and, and, to, and indicate VPN uh, export uh, membership yeah, and export. Tag and, uh, yeah. It's, it's used by the control plane to tell the network what to do with it when it gets to the other side. So um, for that for that reason, just, uh, providers will strip off, most of them will strip off extended communities because it's just, it's not useful to them and, and it could potentially be destructive if there was uh, some sort of an overlap between what you sent them and what they're using internally. So that's that's one reason that, per, that communities get stripped. Um, and since they're just a signaling mechanism, they they sort of, they don't really have global universal meaning anyway. Once the community gets to the next provider in the chain, um, it's unlikely that that provider is going to um, attribute the same meaning to that community that you did when you first sent it in. Uh, so it's, you know, generally it's, it's used in an autonomous system by autonomous system, hop by hop sort of a way. Yeah. And by default, it's stripped out of EBGP, right? You don't send it to EBGP peers anyway, unless you turn it on. You have to turn it on on each implementation. Right. right. So that's, that's a by default thing that's done, again, like you said, because you just want to protect your internal network. My network is my little fiefdom, my little castle. And I could be using it for our TRD. I could be using it for all sorts of things, signaling. And I just don't, I mean, I could be using it for local prep, whatever. I don't want your communities as a customer of mine 
to be messing with my internal policies. Thank you very much. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah. So there are times, however, where BGP communities are sent across a new BGP sec uh, session or a peering relationship. So let's talk about those a little bit. First of all, do providers document these these reasons that they allow this stuff to happen? I mean, or that they or what they use these communities for? Because I think this is an interesting area. A lot of people just don't know. Yeah, yeah. There, most most providers. Uh, I would think almost all providers that would um, allow you to send communities to them would give you some sort of uh, documentation that's available public facing. So you go find your transit provider and and just do a Google search for BGP policy or policy or whatever their BGP documentation is, and you will find generally a document that lists here's what this community here's the value it used for the community and here's what it will do if you put that community on on your route, and they're well documented. I mean the the providers are, are incentivized to give you the right information so that you get the experience that you're, that you're hoping to get as a customer of the service provider. So yeah, it's generally pretty well documented. And if it's not, for some reason, you can always call the, call the knock um, of the provider and they're going to know um, what, what that means or they'll be able to find someone who knows what it means. Yeah. So another interesting thing about this is that the providers themselves mark their routes with communities regionally and from certain kinds of customers and transits and et cetera, et cetera. So if you go to a route view server and you do a show IPGPGP for your route or some route in the table, it will pop those communities along with the information that's in the table. And it's interesting because then you can actually figure out what the provider thinks about that route like where they think they learned it from, which is really useful sometimes on your troubleshoot. Like if somebody's hijacked your route, you might go out to a, a route view server or a looking glass and you look at it and you go, okay, well, my route is in the table, but the origin doesn't look right. What is that about? And maybe even the origin AS is right, but the community may tell you what region that route originates in. And if you know right. you're not in that region, well, hey, my route's been hijacked. Now I've got to call the knock and I have proof based on their, the, the provider's community strings, that there's something wrong with my route. It's not just me not understanding what I'm doing, right? Yeah, and this is, this is a big issue, and this can help you a ton when you're dealing with providers. Uh, if you can prove to them that I know what I'm doing with BGP, and look, here's some evidence, and here's a, some show, show command, um, you have a lot better chance of getting the attention of the people that need to see it. Because often in a, you know, a service provider knock, you're going to have to be escalated to somebody. And so if you, if you can demonstrate, here's, look, here's my reasoning for why I think this is a problem that you should be looking at, um, that you know, evidence always helps with that. And communities are a great way. And especially if you can say, ah, oh, these other routes that I've sent to, to your other pops, they're tagged with these communities, but this one is not. And so something's different here, then you're way more likely to get their attention. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, that's, it's really useful to know, to go back in there and look at those things. Okay, so, let, so let's talk about the next thing, which is the use cases. for Because a lot of people don't know that if you send providers communities, they will do things with those communities sometimes. I mean, not always, but sometimes they will do things with those communities. So let's talk about some of those use cases because they're kind of cool. It's kind of neat what you can do with this stuff. Yeah, so you can, uh, a lot of the, the, one of the main 
use cases is traffic engineering. So many providers will give you a community that you can put on your route. And when it gets, when it receives that community, it interprets that as I need to prepend. So you could prepend it yourself before you send it to your provider. But if you want them to prepend on your behalf with their ASM, um, sometimes that can be really useful. So all you would have to do to do that is put the community on that the provider says to use. And then when it gets there, um, their filters say, oh, I see this community. I'm going to go ahead and prepend my, my, the, my service provider ASN uh, into the path and make it longer. And there are, there are times when that can be more effective than just doing it yourself. And, uh, and some of them have lots of permutations. Like some of them will say, use this community uh, to prepend at one time, reuse this other community, prepend at two times, use this community, colon, this value, and then we'll prepend it however many times that value says. So, um, yeah. And this is, yeah. this is actually really useful when you are um, trying to adjust the traffic flow inbound, but you don't want to mess with the traffic flow inbound at your provider. Like if you prepend, it actually messes with your... So your provider has customers, right? And your provider has customers that are sending you stuff. And you don't want to mess with, say, a peer of theirs that's a customer, but you want them to send their transit traffic to you through a different link or something like this. This allows you to actually mess around with that stuff if you understand how they're connected. But you've got to know how they're connected to be that fine-grained right. about stuff. Right, right. And, and generally, I mean, if you, you, you need to have be multi homed for many of these things to be useful anyway. Um, right. Exactly. But, yeah. yeah. So, so what about this whole thing with setting as uh, what about this whole thing with setting local pref? That's a really interesting use case. Yeah, this one's kind of cool. So you, you can, in, with many providers, you can influence uh, their own route selection. Right. You can see, you know, local pref is high on the list. It's one of the, you know, it's a, a, one of what I call a heavy hammer. So uh, if you, if something has a higher local preference, all the, all the attributes beneath that and the VGP selection criteria will be ignored. And so uh, you can, you can put a, for many providers, you can put a community on the route and when it gets in the provider uh, sets the local pref to whatever you wanted it to be. Um, and this can be useful because you can, you can send, uh, for if you had two locations with this provider, now keep in mind that the local preference uh, is not a transitive attribute, so it's only going to work with uh, a single provider. But if you are multi-home to that provider, uh, you could set a local preference and, uh, on, on a prefix as you send it into one part of their network and set a different, lo set a different local preference community. And then basically they translate the community into the local preference value. You couldn't do that if you were you know, on the other side of an eBGP session. You can't say my local preference is this on the route because it won't cross the session. But you can put a community on that they then interpret as the customer wants this local preference to be set to this value. Right. Well, actually, if you are paired to two upstream providers, and they're paired to one another, and you know what their default local pref is internally. Mm, you sure. Can, you can adjust where you get certain, which provider you get certain traffic from. You can actually ask them to transit the, the, the peering link between the two providers rather than sending it to you directly. Because most providers are going to hot potato, right? They're going to try to ship the traffic directly to you as fast as you can. You can say, no, set your local preference X, and that's higher than your default from your peer. Therefore, you're going to, ship it over to your peer and bring the traffic down my other path. So you can have, there's a lot of little games you can play there that are pretty interesting um, with this. But again, you got to understand the connectivity. I mean, that's, that's really a key point is to understand the connectivity. So what about uh, remote triggered black holes? Dangerous, interesting, <laughs> dangerous, but really kind of cool. 
Yeah, they can, they can be dangerous, but they can also be a lifesaver. Um, you know, the classic case is there's a DDoS against one of your, one of your IP addresses. Um, a single slash 32 is taking 10 gigs of traffic or something. Um, most providers will have a black hole community. So you put the community on the, uh, the slash 32 that's under attack and you ship it off to the provider. And normally they're not going to take a slash 32 from you, but if they see it with the, with the black hole community on it, they'll accept it in that case. And then, and then they will black hole it themselves. They will, um, you know, they will install null routes at their edges. And so you can keep the traffic off of your link altogether. Now to contrast this with, um, you might say, well, I don't need communities to do that. I can just stick up an access list on my router. You could do that, but you're going to be syncing all that traffic into the control plane of your router. So um, it's, it's, it's better to, you know, you could, if you know that this prefix is being attacked, put the black hole community on it, which signals to the provider, I don't want any traffic for this, sync the traffic. Uh, and, you know, you can, you can minimize the collateral damage. Now you kind of have helped the DDoS, um, you know, accomplish its goal because you black hole the prefix and nobody can reach it. But at least the bandwidth on your, on your transit link is now available for real traffic. Um, right. Yeah. So, right. So yeah. let's move on from communities and talk about Bogons. Everybody's, everybody gets confused about Bogons, Martians and other stuff. So let's talk about Bogons first. Um, Bogon IP addresses first. So what's a Bogon? So Bogon is uh, it's sort of a pa uh, parent category. Uh, it contains some other types of things. So uh, a Bogon is comprised of Martians and basically any IP blocks that have been assigned by IANA but not yet allocated to an internet registry, basically unassigned address space. So we should never be seeing traffic from an unassigned address space, right? We, we can pretty much guarantee that that's going to be spoofed and not legitimate traffic. Um, Martians are basically any other type of traffic that might be, it might be acceptable to, you know, route that traffic locally, but you wouldn't ever see it on the internet. For example, uh, RFC 1918, you should never see a packet with a source IP address of 10.1.1.1 on the, on the global internet. Yeah, so, yeah. so RFC 1918 is classified as a Martian and there's a bunch of other RFCs that describe, uh, you know, there's special use addresses, uh, there's experimental addresses, there's, benchmarking and documentation addresses. Um, yes, it's true. If you're writing a blog post, you should use the documentation prefixes and don't just pick not, one. Not one, one, one. Yeah, not the privates. Thank you. Not private. <laughs> right, right, right. And so there's a whole list. You can look them up in the RFCs. Um, RFC 5735 tells you about all the special use uh, addresses. Uh, another set of addresses you wouldn't normally see on the internet is uh, CGNAT, so the 164/10 space. So there's so all of these things uh, fit into uh, that this category of Martians. They're basically this valid IP address space, and real traffic could be using it, but not across the internet. Okay, cool. Yeah, and there are Bogon lists, right? I think. Um, yeah. Team CYMRU or some of the others actually produce, and Ripe I think produces a uh, Bogon list. Yeah, and they're even dynamic. Uh, so t I, I don't know if this is correct. I've heard it pronounced Team Cymru. I that's don't know right. if that's, no, that's is that how it's, right. yeah. yeah. So they, they do a bunch of interesting stuff. They'll actually give you a BGP feed of all of the, all of all the Bogons. Uh, and you might think, well, I already know what the RC1918 is. Why do I need some live feed? Well, those things are static, but, but the blocks that have been assigned by IANA but not yet allocated to an RIR, those are definitely are dynamic because they're being allocated and they will, will be valid at some point in the future. So, um, and Team Cymru does a lot of cool stuff. They'll, they'll even do it in DNS. They'll, they'll, in, in DNS, you can query um, 
uh, an address and say what what is this and get a response that says this is this is a a, a bogon. A bogon. Cool. All right. Well, that's it for communities and bogons, and we'll follow this up with some more BGP stuff in the next short take that we do. So, thanks for hanging out with us on the Network Collective Short Takes.